This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. The first pitch on its way. Swing and a line drive left side of the infield. Fielded by Wendell. He made the catch. Rays win. Rays win. Rays win. And they're on their way to the American League championship series as they knock off the new york yankees two to one coming up we'll recap the action from this past week take a look around major league baseball and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game just a swing and a drive hit well in the air towards right mookie betts going back to the wall gone a first inning homer for randy arosarena number 10 of the postseason it's one nothing raise Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning. Welcome to our show. Today we'll visit with Shane McClanahan about an impressive rookie season. Dave and Andy will join me to discuss the stretch run. Prospect Dalton Kelly will discuss his newfound power at the plate. I'll discuss how to distribute innings going forward with pitching coach Kyle Snyder. You'll learn about an event at Tropicana Field this coming weekend. Plus, we'll discuss the Red Sox COVID outbreak with beat reporter Chad Jennings. We continue on this week in Ace Baseball, and Shane McClanahan is our featured guest this week. And Shane, first of all, how much fun are you having here in this your rookie season? It's awesome. You know, I couldn't I couldn't ask to be around a better group of guys. You know, we're winning, but we're also having a lot of fun. And you know, the clubhouse is always something I'm excited to get you know get to day in and day out. Whatever. When I wake up and when I leave the film, like, man, I can't wait to get back. When did that begin? Not necessarily here, but when did the clubhouse environment become the biggest, the, the, the part that I think leads to a lot of the success on the field too? So I think, I think the Rays do a good job of, even in the lower levels in the minor leagues, promoting a healthy and good, good clubhouse, a bunch of good guys who want to win and have fun. And uh, so I think they set the tone very early as, as your development as a baseball player. And so, you know, once you get to the major league level, it translates here. You know, you go to a good clubhouse and, you know, you usually see good clubhouses, good guys win. I think that is a correlation, to tell you the truth. You know, good clubhouse, good team, good people. You know, we win a lot. You say it's, you know, what a wonderful atmosphere it is. Tell me this. Have you, like, even given a thought? You're, like, 24 and the top starter on a team that's going to the postseason more than likely. I mean, barring something unforeseen and hopefully a division winner. Does that settle in at all, or are you just kind of enjoying the moment? Yeah, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say top star. I think I think there's a lot of guys here that could any day just step up and be our guy, which I think is it's incredible to see. You know, the, the depth of this team with Waka, Patino, Yarbs, Rass stepping up. You know, Josh Fleming. It's like Archer now that he's healthy and back. It's 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 a really cool thing to be a part of. It's like you know, every single day I feel like we have one of the best chance to win with that guy in the mound. You know, whoever's playing what position. It's and it's pretty cool. You know, it's. It's a really cool experience to be a part of being so young and this really being my four, first full Major League season. So it's, it's special. It really is. Has it gone better than you would have thought? What were you hoping for coming into this year? I was hoping to have success. You know, I mean, I, I want to come in and help this team win in any way I can, like I said before. And, you know, obviously my only goal is to win a lot of games, and I'm hoping to keep on doing what I'm doing. How much did last year help this year? 
How much did the postseason experience, how much did it kind of inspire you for this year? And and if you looked at Shane McClanahan now yeah. versus Shane McClanahan a year ago, how big is the difference? It's massive. It's a massive difference, to tell you the truth. That postseason experience, it, it taught me how to handle pressure. It taught me how to handle pressure extremely well. You know, you, you know, making your major league debut is, you know, has its own challenges, and is, you know, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of anxiety, a lot of nerves, and to couple that with, you know, the postseason, and it's like you really learn how to handle it well. To tell you the truth, you know, you learn how to adapt, how to survive, and how to bottle that up and, you know, use it for good. To tell you the truth, you know, I think, you know, obviously pitching this year, I've, I haven't, you know, really felt like too nervous. To tell you the truth. I've been excited more than anything, and I think the postseason experience is invaluable because, you know, I got some of the most pressure-filled situations out of the way pretty early. And you've evolved a lot as a pitcher, though, too. Yeah. Like, w- if you look at what you were in 2020 at the end and where you are now, how much have you changed there on the mound? <laughs> I feel like a different pitcher, to tell you the truth. Um, you know, I, I feel like I'm doing a better job of filling up the zone, attacking with all my pitches, and you know, developing two actually kind of brand new pitches, the, the two curveball and the slider, which I, you know, I didn't have last year. And so I think I, I've come a long way between last year. It's definitely night and day, in my opinion. How much has Kyle Snyder helped and where has he helped you the most this year? Every single place about the aspect, every single aspect, every single place in my game. You know, the guy is by far, in my opinion, the best pitching coach in the league. And I know a lot of guys would have my back with that, with that statement. You know, Kyle, Kyle does everything he can to set you up for success. You know, he's he's so knowledgeable, and he's he's a good person, too. So it's like, you know, you come to the field, and you, you're excited to work with a guy like Kyle. How does he connect with you? Because everyone says how good he is, but he's different to every person in a good way. Absolutely. You know, he's he's a unique guy where he can he can be what he needs to be to help that person grow. You know, whether, whether it's, say, like a, a visual learner with another guy or, you know, physical or stuff like that, it's, he's, he knows how to adapt and get through to that person on an individual-by-individual individual basis. So how does he get through to Shane McClanahan? What, what clicks between the two of you? Because I know with Blake, he saw him like almost like a big brother, father-type yeah. figure. What is he to you? Snides, to me, is like a, he's, he's like he's kind of like a role model. Yeah, he's, it's like you see what he does and, like, how respected and how, you know, he goes about the business the right way. And he's so knowledgeable. I just want to pick his brain every chance I get, you know. And it's like he has that that relatability where it's like, you know, hey, I did this when I was younger. Don't do this. You know, like learn from my mistakes. And so it, it's, it's, it's a really cool relationship I feel like him and I have. We started this by talking about what a great environment you're part of here. Yeah. Separate yourself on non-start days. How different are you? <laughs> I'm I'm a pretty different person to be honest with you. I mean, I you know I love talking with people. I love hanging out with my my teammates. I love hanging out with my friends. You know, I'm a normal person. You know, I, I feel like I I goof around a lot. I like to laugh. I like to just hang out. And but yeah, I, I just I'm a different person. So does that start when you wake up? Does it is it like is it like Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde? You kind of like throws a switch, or how would you describe yourself? You know, it's like. In the morning, I'm fine. It's like, you know, but once I get to the field, it's like, you know, I, I, I want to do my job and to tell you the truth. And that's the only thing on my mind. So it's like, it's like a switch. I feel like I can, you know, as soon as I'm done with the game, I can turn it off and, you know, I go back to, you know, trying to be a great teammate and be a great person. And, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just one of those things where it's not like I hate people. It's just, I have a, I have a mission. My, my goal is to, you know, do as well as I can for this team. And that's just how I get into that zone. When did that start? 
And because you played like for your dad as a kid growing up. So when when did you become that guy on the day you pitched? You know, it's it's weird because I've I've always had this like this notion that you know like oh you know I need to be a different guy you know it's like I just be relaxed and you know figure out what works for me and uh you know what I've figured out works for me is just you know just be by myself and you know have that clear cut focus of what I need to do for that day and you know once I get done then it goes back to normal since I brought it up um your dad how big an influence was he on you growing up and how does he still have an influence he always pushed me you know he he was never never he always pushed me. He, 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 I can never get complacent. You know, he always, he always pushed me to do the next thing. He was like, all right, you did this. What are you going to do now? It's like, how are you going to keep getting better? And so it's like pissed me off when I was younger because I feel like I could never <laughs> flee to the guy. But, you know, looking back, it's like he, he, was, he was awesome for me, the development, because, you know, he always would <laughs> be so nice to the other kids and, like, always cheer them on. But I think he always saw something in me that maybe some other kids didn't have is that – that mentality of like you know i want to be the best i can be well i think you joked after the big league debut he the first thing he said was what walk on a three two pitch or something like that or he said why are you walking people yeah something like something along the lines of that and i know he was joking but he wasn't joking so he always has always has those expectations and he wants to see me succeed and so it's like i know he's pushing me to be the best i can be on and off the field so i'm very thankful for that so how good do you like if you were to look I know you have tunnel vision and you're looking right now yes. and next start and next game but how good do you think you can be in the future and what do you want like 5 years from now what are you hoping for yourself That's a good question I to tell you the truth I really have not thought that far down the road I I don't know man I I think you know every single day you're in the big leagues is a blessing you know every single day where you say to yourself that you're a major leaguer it's it's something to be proud of so, you know, hopefully five years down the road, I'm in a position where I, I did everything I could to set myself up for success, whether that's the work on and off the field. And hopefully what moment would be better for you appearing in your first game of the postseason or pitching on the mound where you went to games as a kid up in Baltimore in front of some family? <laughs> that's an easy choice, Neil. I mean, we want to win the World Series. That's our only goal. So, you know, once once we get that done, then I can then I can relax a little bit. Since you grew up with a Cal Ripken growth chart, have you ever met, met Cal Ripken, and if so, when? No, I, I actually haven't met Cal, but, you know, obviously, it's the Ironman, you know. You, you look at him, his accomplishments on and off the field, and he's the model of excellence. So it's, you know, that was always a you know, big role model in my life, too. And it's like watching the way he did everything and hearing all these great stories about him. But, no, I haven't met him yet. Would you be kind of a fanboy if you met him, or would that be or, – or is a guy who's been in the game, is it okay – It'd be cool. What would twelve-year-old Shane be like? Twelve-year-old Shane? I don't. He probably wouldn't be able to handle it. He'd he'd be freaking out. You know, I think now I I'd, I'd be blown away because you know it's like the utmost respect I have for that guy is is just how I feel. And so I I'd love to just you know get a chance to meet him and you know pick his brain a little bit. We mentioned your intensity. Are you in intense in video games and other stuff? What can you actually? Are you okay where you're less competitive, or is there anything? So I wouldn't say intense. I just hate losing, to tell you the truth. I just I hate losing more than I like winning. You know what I mean? And so it's like I, I, I'm, I'm very easygoing, like, aside from my, like, start days. It's like I'm a very go-with-the-flow type of guy. I don't worry about much. Like, so it's, it's a complete different contrast of um, who I am as a 
I guess, all my start days because that's not who I really am. <laughs> but when you're playing video games, is it I you lose a game, you the joystick goes one way and Shane goes the other? Or, or? It, has. <laughs> it has happened a few times. <laughs> but, no, I try not to be like that. I, I'm just... I go with the flow, man. It is what it is. That's just the way I look at it. What do you do when you're away from baseball? What keeps your mind? Oh, you know, like are there certain things you golf? Do you do what do you what what do you do? Let's say during a season, just to keep your mind clear, because it's important not to do a twenty four seven in season, in or out. So I, I like to play video games, uh, like you mentioned. I like to golf. You know, I like to I like to just hang out with my friends. I love to be around my family, my friends, and. Just get out and explore, to tell you the truth. Like, every city we go to, I like to get out and kind of explore it and, you know, go see what the city is like because it's a great opportunity for us to, you know, see different parts of the country and, you know, experience different cultures, not cultures, but, like, I guess vibes in that certain city or state. So do you have a favorite one so far? To be determined. I'm, I'm narrowing it down, but I got I got a few favorites in mind. I really liked, uh, love Boston. Uh, Seattle was pretty cool. Texas is fun. Baltimore is awesome. Uh, I love D.C. So, I mean, it, there's a lot of good cities we've been to so far. And if there's a video game of choice for you to play that you need to win in something, what game is it right now? If I need to win? <laughs> Man, that's a good question. I play Warzone a lot. I mean, I play PGA Tour Golf. I stay away from the baseball video games. I feel like I do that enough. But, yeah, I mean, it's – honestly, to tell you the truth, though, it like playing those video games is more of a way for me to you know connect with my friends so i don't necessarily get to see that often so it's always good to you know have that that joking and camaraderie that you know obviously you miss out a part of or you miss out because of you know baseball and stuff like that so it's just more reconnecting with friends well hopefully there's an opportunity to connect in november uh this year rather than any time earlier than that continued success on the mound continued success with your teammates and thanks for joining us in this week in race baseball thanks neil Shane McClanahan will continue right after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solons, and time now to take a look at the week gone by with the guys who, of course, call all the action for the Rays, and that's Dave Wills and Andy Freed. Morning, fellas. What's happening, Neil? Morning. If, if I would, let's put on our, our March hat. Let's try and remember way back, um, a whole six months. If I would have told you in March, on September 5th, the Rays are going to have a seven-and-a-half game lead in division, Pace of more than 100 wins with 26 games to go. What would you have said? I would have thought, are we the only team above 500? I'll be honest, and I'll humiliate myself on the air. Why not? I thought coming into the year this team might be 84-85 win team. I thought they lost a lot of pitching, uh, like many did. Uh, I, I thought if everything breaks well, maybe you could get to 90, but this team has exceeded, far exceeded my expectation, in particular because as of June 15th, they lost their best starter in Tyler Glasnow. So, for this team to bounce back and already be 36 games above 500, Dave, with 26 still to go, is pretty amazing. And I think these things are special when they happen in baseball. Not only should we not take them for granted, but they got to do the old pedal to the metal here. Win as many as you can. Take advantage of this because things don't always break your way every season. And, and this year they haven't, but they've forced themselves up to this spot. It's been a special team, I think. Yeah, I think if you add the caveat of uh, the fact that uh, – you know, Tyler Glasnow would have got hurt in early June, that Nick Anderson would never have pitched for us. There's no way I would have thought that uh, we'd be in the situation that we are in right now. But, uh, hey, bully for them. They, they're figuring out ways to win. They pivoted a little bit, too, during the baseball season to uh, become a little more of an offensive team, even though every spring Andy and I do believe that this will be the best offense that we've seen in our time with the Tampa Bay Rays. But it turned out to be true. So there's no way I could have imagined that uh, this team would be where they're at right now. And that's a credit to the players, obviously. It's a credit to the staff. 
Kevin Cash and his coaching staff. And then it's credit to the front office that, again, have uh, made some uh, moves and very astute moves during the season and adding some pitching and to keep the depth going there. And, you know, I, I did know, though, during the spring that I thought it was the thickest team that we've ever had put together between the people that were going to be on the big league team. We were sending a lot of guys out to Durham, Neil, that uh, at the time we figured we were going to be that group going down to Durham could have been a pretty darn good major league team uh, in some circles. So uh, I'm, I'm pleased with where they're at, but there's no way I would have ever guessed we'd be on a pace for over 100 wins. And, Neil, I just want to say one other thing because – you know, in thinking that, as I wrongly did, that this team would maybe 84, 85 wins, I think my mistake, looking back, is that looking, okay, well, what did the Rays lose? But what about the other teams also? And, mm-hmm. you know, there was, a, there was still the, the talk of, well, the Yankees are the team to beat. And then it's like, wait a minute, the Rays are the American League champions. The Rays should be the team to beat. The Yankees had all kind of flaws coming into their season, and they're still dealing with them. The Red Sox did, too. I, I'm a, a little, I don't want to say disappointed, kind of happily. I thought the Blue Jays would be a little bit better than what they are and I think they're still not done I think they've got some sort of playoff push for them in them this month I think we all thought the Orioles would be the bottom but I really thought the Blue Jays would be better I didn't realize the Red Sox would be this good and I thought the Yankees would be about what they are right now so bigger surprise the fact that the Rays have done this without Anderson and for the better part without Glass now or the fact that they're leading the majors in run scored at this point of the year I think the bigger surprise is doing it without Glass now and Anderson I think like we've talked about this many, many times, and Andy alluded to it a little bit earlier, is the fact that if you were to tell me that, uh, again, we're not only without Anderson and Glass now, but, you know, again, Snell and uh, Morton not being here, so you take your top three guys out of your rotation, and then you also look at the back end of the bullpen, and at one time or another, we have not had Anderson at all. We haven't had uh, Diego Castillo now for more than half a season. He left. He was also one of your high-leverage guys. Pete Fairbanks has had two stints on the I.L., and uh, Ryan Thompson, another guy that's probably have been one of your top four relievers last year, has been on the IL two for now more than a couple of months. So, uh, how, how this it's just a testament to the depth of this team, and again the job that uh, the guys behind the scenes have done to get guys in here to take those spots to fill in and fill in admirably, and uh, you know again continue to do what they need to do to the run prevention side. We're not we're not built anymore to win games. I don't think it's consistently two to nothing or three to one. But I think we're more consistently built to win games five to three and six to four than we probably were a couple of months into the season. Yeah, and, and in tandem with that, with the guys that are no longer on the team, you see certain guys from within the group that have gotten better. I mean, could anyone have predicted this kind of year for Andrew Kittrich? He has been the anchor uh, in this uh, in this bullpen and on this team. I think he's the MVP of the team. I'll continue to push that. Mike Janino has had a really good year offensively, finally in his third year with the Rays. He's put together the offensive campaign that we all had hoped. And so glad that he's here for what he does defensively. You know, it's not, it's not by coincidence that he's the catcher when McClanahan and Patino pitch. Those are two priority guys going forward. You want your best catcher back there. And just how about the offense overall, Neil, from the catchers? We've never had a, a group like this. Even going back to the early days of the franchise, there were some good years by catchers offensively. But to have the combination of what Zanino and Mejia have done this year has been a big, big plus. And then additions from outside the organization to see what Colin McHugh, maybe more than anyone, has done this year. He and Kittrich are quite a one-two punch in that bullpen. They are, and they're going to get guys back. They're close to getting Nick Anderson. They're close to getting Matt Whistler. And they could add Choi and Phillips from a left-handed standpoint to the lineup. But the, the guy that everyone talks about is Wander Franco. What's most impressive to you guys for him as a 20-year-old? I, it goes back to exactly what Bill Evers told me over four years ago, is that he's got the most incredible bat-to-ball skills of uh, anybody that he's seen. And, and I'll tell you, he hasn't disappointed. Early on in the year, 
uh, when he first got up here. You know, he, we saw some swing and miss, and you could see how much it really bothered him. He didn't like doing it, and uh, I think we've, we've watched him, uh, again, slow the game down to the point where now he looks uh, still looks a lot better, I think, from the right side than he does from the left side at the plate, but still, uh, you know, his left side is starting to play uh, play up as well. And then I think the other thing now, too, is the, the fact that he's getting a little more comfortable defensively. I thought that, uh, you know, there was some high praise for his defense coming in, and uh, at first it was like, eh, all right, maybe he's not quite as good as Willie was and definitely not as good as where Taylor Walls is now, but uh, we, we've seen him slow the game down defensively now where he's charging baseballs a little more. He's made the spectacular plays, but we need to see him make the, the regular plays a little more often. And even those plays off to the side where I think for a while he was kind of not taking that extra step, I think he's starting to do now. So I, I'm not sure he's to my standard or Kevin Cash's standard of being the two-out shortstop where you want the ball hit to, but uh, it's, getting a lot, it's getting a lot closer to what it was a few weeks ago. He's an electric player, and the fact that he does it from both sides of the plate. And, and Dave's right, the right-hand swing has looked more polished, but there's no question that the left-handed swing is coming along. And, and look, while I'm throwing myself under uh, the proverbial prediction bus today from back in spring training, I remember thinking at the time, I think Wander will be a September call-up. That's a guy that you want to make sure he gets a full season under him. Because remember, he didn't have development last year. Uh, there was no double-A year for him. Uh, coming through the minors, not many guys basically go from single-A to triple-A. He's gone from single-A to a month in triple-A to the big leagues, and it took a b- couple of weeks for him to really get settled in and becoming a star player. I, I, it is phenomenal what what he is doing. And, and I had just thought at the time that there's no way this organization pushes a 20-year-old uh, to become a, 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 an impact player when there's already other middle infield guys. I couldn't have been more wrong, and it's a testament to the Rays for believing in the player that they have. And I think Wander forced their hand. I think his, he was so good, uh, and it looked like he was ready for the majors. And, and they wouldn't have brought him up if he wasn't ready for the majors. So to see a young player uh, just uh, look like he's just having such a blast you know, on the field, too. He, he energizes the group. I think after they traded to Willie Adamas, there was a bit of a lull for looking for guys who would be energy guys. He is absolutely an energy guy in this group. And uh, they're just a different team when he's on the field. And how many 20-year-olds can you really say that about? It's amazing. I, I see a podcast right. in the making, Andy's Predictions. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I'll tell you when it's going to come on, then it'll come on a different time. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. And have a great call and a safe trip to Boston. Glad Sounds to help good. you out, Neil. Yep. Anytime, about Thanks. once a month. That's, that's all. We continue on this weekend race baseball and time to take a look on the minor league side and a guy who's had a fantastic season and just had a terrific week as well is Dalton Kelly of the Durham Bulls. Dalton, thanks very much for a few minutes. Yeah, no problem, Neil. Thanks for having me. First of all, how gratifying it has it been to have the kind of year you've had to this point? Oh, man, it's been incredible. I mean, it's honestly, I think it's the coolest for my family and for everyone who's supported me, my coaches in high school and college and my dad, my wife. So many people have to sacrifice along with me for the last seven years of my professional career to get me to this point. I'm on my free agent year, and so that's been an amazing timing from from that perspective. Um, it's my last year playing minor league baseball, so if I had a I had a doozy of a season, then it probably would have been my last year playing. But luckily, I've been blessed and um, stayed healthy, stayed on the field, had consistent at-bats, and, and the numbers kind of speak for themselves. From the mental side of the game, Dalton, what's allowed you to have that kind of success? Because you mentioned the situation you're in. Some guys would put pressure on themselves. Obviously, you've performed extremely well. Yeah, I kind of just went into the season wanting to have fun. I knew that it potentially could be my last season. And I did this once in college, too. I went and played college summer ball. I actually went into that summer season. I was going to quit college baseball. 
and I went into the coach of my summer ball team, the Cor- Corvallis Knights, and I said, hey, this is my last summer playing baseball. And I just want to have fun again. I want to enjoy these couple months just playing baseball, trying to win. And, and sure enough, the love of the game came back to me, and I wanted to keep playing college baseball, and then I wanted to play professional baseball. And so I kind of took the same approach going into this season. I just do all the preparation that I can, especially with COVID. We had tons of time, me and my dad in the backyard. I had a great conversation with the Rays front office when I did not make the ATS. So there's a 60-man list there. And so when I didn't get on that 60-man list, I was like, I was pretty bummed. So, I mean, I took it as kind of like, if I'm not good enough to get on a 60-man roster, then I need to make some changes to my game. And so talked to some of the people in the Rays front office, and we came up with a plan. And it was as simple as just moving my contact point out a couple inches. I was probably on average like four or five inches behind some of the big power hitters and especially the corner outfielders and the corner infielders. And so those guys were just suggesting, even if we can just get that couple inches farther out we don't have to be as elite as some of those guys are but it'll just help your angles get a little bit better it'll help your exit velo consistently be a little bit higher and so during covid that's all me and my dad worked on is just kind of moving the ball out in front a little bit and uh it's turned into hitting for a little bit more power i I don't feel like my approach has necessarily changed i just moved the contact point out a little bit farther and it's letting my swing naturally lift balls better and and it's just been a good year. I wanted to get more into how you did it because you never hit more than 10 homers in a season, and here you're well beyond 20, and you had multiple multiple homer games. So how do you change your swing so you're more out in front? What kind of drill work did you do with your dad during COVID to change that? I mean, pretty much it's just moving the tee three or four inches farther than I would have normally set it up. I mean, it's not rocket science, but uh, I uh, – Move the tee out three or four inches, and then when I was doing front toss and taking BP or balls off the velo machine, I would just place a ball four or five inches in front of the plate, and in my mind, I was thinking, I'm going to hit the baseball over the baseball that's on the ground. It was just two simple drills, and those two things have kind of seemed to help a lot. That's the beauty, I guess, of the analytical side of the game, is how one small little thing can change it. Do you almost wish you learned this a little earlier? (laughs) Yeah. Of course, but it's all right. I think, yeah, I mean, every season that we play as baseball players, we're always learning, especially when we stay around long enough. We always kind of want to get that next edge and see if we can get keep getting better. We're, we're kind of just, like, never satisfied when it comes to – I just noticed baseball players, even when we hit 300, we go into the offseason, we're like, I want to hit 325. If we hit 30 homers, I want to hit 40 homers. We, we're just never satisfied from that perspective, so we're always kind of looking for that next edge. And, and so – I each year of my minor league season, I go off in the offseason with some sort of goal, whether it's to be faster or get a better arm. And with this COVID year, it was just, let's try to hit for a little bit more power. I'm a first baseman, and I can't hit 10 homers and be really good defensively and just be a, a good base runner. I got to hit for more power. And the Rays front office was honest, and they weren't hiding anything from me. They just said, hey, you got to hit for more power. And here's a way that we think that it could help you hit for more power. So that was the cool thing about it. They didn't just sit down and bash me for not hitting the ball hard. They were like, hey, here's a solution, and it's up to you to figure out how you want to get that done. And so me and my dad were just tinkering, and it seems like we found something. So you've got a little one. You're, you're married. Did you, your wife, and your little one stay with your dad during COVID? What, how, or, or did you live close by? How'd you, how'd that work out? Early COVID, we thought that the minor league season would 
happen. That was kind of the first rumor. So we actually stayed in Durham, which is where our AAA team is. And then once they canceled the minor league season, we flew back home to Reading. That's where me and, one, me and my wife both grew up. And my grandma actually has a house, where, and she lives alone. So we, we kind of slid right into there. It worked out perfect. It was a great time. And then my parents live five minutes down the road. And so we just kind of re- revamped my batting cage that I hid in since I was six years old, put some turf down, got a new net, got a new machine. And that was kind of my stomping grounds for all of COVID. How satisfying has this year been for you and your family? And uh, how your child is, what, two and a half now? Two, yep, she's two and a half. It's been a good year. I think you hear a lot of different stories about how COVID affected people, but we got to go home and enjoy a summer with family and kind of reconnect, reset goals. But at the end of COVID, getting close to spring training this year, we were both super antsy. We, we wanted to go. We, I mean, the last seven years we've been traveling to new places and we're never really in one place longer than four or five months. And so COVID kind of locked us down for seven, eight months there. And we were both getting antsy. We're just used to being on the road, traveling, seeing new people. And so when the season got the green light, we were super excited, really ready to get to spring training. And, and this year's just been great. Just keep just living that baseball life, meeting new people, making new friends. Durham's a great city to live in. So nothing to complain about from our end. You mentioned uh, the the thought at the beginning of this of making sure you have fun. Obviously, it's a lot easier to have fun when you're succeeding, but also when you're winning. How much fun has this group been to play with? Dude, this group has been one of the best teams that I've ever been on, for sure. The opening series, we played Memphis. We ran out a big league lineup, and that was kind of a joke for the first month or two of the season as we as a team we thought we can compete with any team in the big leagues obviously we're young and we had a lot of stuff to work on watching Wander and Bruhan and Josh and our pitching staff it, I mean it was just incredible every single night and obviously when you're winning it, you play better baseball when you have good baseball players around you it challenges you to play your best baseball and playing with the Rays that's something that you kind of take for granted is all your minor league teams usually always win you always have good pitching you have great coaching and so it usually just just makes good baseball players and that's what you're seeing in the big leagues and all the minor league teams all the I'm hearing that all the minor league teams are in first place we're all winning so it's just a good organization to be a part of you have Brady Williams back as your manager you had him in part of 2019 how much has that helped your comfort level yeah it's great I mean me and Brady were talking about this the other day. I've played for him for probably four seasons, maybe three and a half seasons now. And we, the way we think about the game is very similar. And so we kind of just, we have this weird ability to kind of read each other's minds. And when I'm at first base and he's given signs, we kind of know how we're thinking about the game. When we're playing defense, it just, yeah, it's, it's extremely comfortable to know what to expect out of your manager. You know what he expects out of you. And so, yeah, I'm lucky to have him as manager. Well, I'm glad to see you're having the success you're having. Uh, hopefully it continues through the end of the year, and I certainly hope there's a big league opportunity for you in the future, Dalton, and we appreciate some time on this week in Rays baseball. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate you. It's Rays prospect Dalton Kelly. He homered six times in four games recently. He has 25 for the year at a 914 OPS. Coming up, pitching coach Kyle Snyder and a whole lot more. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball on the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. Tampa Bay's been creative this year, using a franchise record 34 pitchers to get through a challenging campaign. And I asked pitching coach Kyle Snyder if he likes where the group is in terms of usage. 
I think like just going into the year, knowing that there really wasn't a whole lot of precedent surrounding workload after last season's shortened year, et cetera, I, I don't know that I could be happier about where guys currently stand going into September with the potential to play an additional month of October. I think that they all have... In particular, some of the younger guys um, all have, you know, the ability to continue to pitch without much limitation. And, you know, we've just really tried to be mindful, you know, throughout the course of the year, just in terms of it being, uh, at least for a handful of these guys, their first full year in the big leagues. Um, And that the disruption of last year and understanding that the intensity at the major league level compared to what they've been used to in the past, factoring that into kind of some of the workload as well, um, you know, is definitely different. Is there any pitcher, starter, or reliever that you're at all concerned with over the final month and change? I'm always concerned, but, you know, I mean, obviously talk about Rass entering the rotation. Uh, we're protecting him with days between and obviously just workload on the day that he pitches. But being that he's had two Tommy Johns, I mean, that's something that we have to be mindful of. You know, first years for guys like McClanahan, first full season for a guy like Patino. I mean, they're guys that were just remindings and that some of the indicators, you know, obviously our relationships with them, the hope that we get transparency from them as well. But not one more than the other. I mean, they all look really good right now with a month to go in the regular season. Um, that's really just been the goal, you know, up to this point. You're using a six-man rotation right now. Do you anticipate that continuing through September? And if not, how do you get creative? I think we'll continue to have conversations going into the ninth, which is our next off day. And, and, and yeah, consider it just given the fact that it provides the additional day, right? You take into account, like, we've, we've done this in the minor leagues, you know, so that the math works out at full seasons for, you know, for uh, collegiate-level pitchers that get to, you know, for full season, you know, A-ball for the first time. The math kind of works out. It gives the guys the extra day. Not having the precedent, not having a normal season to work from last year, it's probably something something that we'll continue to discuss and and, and it could be a possibility throughout the month. Because it helps in terms of giving the starters extra rest. It does put a little more, even though you have a 28-man roster on the bullpen, right? That's right, yeah. I mean, the first year that we did it, it was Jared and I in Bowling Green. We did a six-man rotation. It does. It takes takes a reliever out of the pen, you know, but now being able to expand rosters with two additional roster spots in September, you know, in theory, it does provide us a bit of a cushion to be able to continue to do that. And you do have the ability to send guys up and down via options, right? I mean, how much does that help or factor into the decision-making regarding that? Well, it just gives us that flexibility, you know, which, um, you know, obviously it doesn't, it's not like it's been in years past where you could expand the roster to however many you wanted. I mean, I think you probably saw Oakland two years ago. They had probably 14 or 15 guys in their bullpen. Um, and will be considered that to be a competitive advantage unfairly. I think this makes sense this year, but just the simple flexibility to be able to rotate some guys in and out throughout the course of the month with AAA continuing to play the month of September as a regular season uh, is certainly going to be beneficial. Do you want to see guys pitch, though, at five-day at some point in September just because, I mean, knock on wood, you guys will end up in the postseason, and one would assume that even in a best-of-five series with days off, guys might have to pitch on a fifth day versus a sixth day if you're using, you know, four starters, openers, whatever it may be. 
That's probably less of an importance for me than making sure that we're tailoring some of our relievers to do the things that we would probably ask of them getting to the postseason with this year's structure and the days off in in a series um, providing us a a, a lot more flexibility than we had last year because we just had to play in successive days. But, you know, yeah, I, I do think that, you know, as we get through the course of this month, seeing where things are in the standings, if we have a chance to play that October baseball, um, and then making sure that uh, that all of our guys that we feel are going to be rostered and, and major contributors are, are ready to do what we expect them to do. You talked about giving extra time to various starters. You've also been pretty careful the last month or so with Andrew Kittredge's usage and Colin McHugh. Uh, particularly making sure he doesn't pitch more than once a series. How important do you think that is for them down the stretch here now? I think it's important, again, just because it's, you know, we we hope and expect to play another eight weeks, you know, and if with that being the case, I mean, these guys have carried a significant load. They've been tremendous for us, and I just think you're always trying to be mindful of the guys that, you know, uh, that you've worked hard, you know. I mean, Andrew's not probably in the top 10, but he's probably in the top 15 in terms of workload. I mean, he's just been absolutely outstanding for us all year long. I mean, McHugh, the same. Uh, these guys are multi-inning leverage weapons for us, and we got to make sure that, you know, we do right by them because it's going to be important for those guys to be at their best once, you know, we, we get a chance to potentially play in October. As media or as members who watch from up above, we look at Kit and see him as a potential MVP candidate of this team. Is that fair? Is that from your, from where you sit? Yeah, I, I think that's very fair. I mean, the workload that he's taken on, the multi-inning saves, you know, just his availability, his efficiency, you know, um, and just the stability that he's provided down there every time he's coming to ball game. Um, I, I certainly could see him being some, but some somebody that you guys would discuss. For me, he's just Andrew Kittredge, the most grounded probably the most grounded player that I've ever been around, Um, but just ready to go every day. And, you know, it's been a lot of fun to watch. One other guy who would fit in that category is a guy you work with frequently, and that's catcher Mike Zanino. How valuable has he been since you've used a record 34 pitchers this year? And that doesn't count Nick Anderson, who may be back at some point here in September. I can't say enough about the Z's growth, you know, since he's been here. Um, Obviously, there is a little bit of familiarity, but we've turned this roster over quite a bit, not just this year, but a fair amount since he's been you know behind the plate with that front row seat but I mean he's he's a tremendous leader he knows the strengths of this pitching staff day in and day out and how those may even change from outing to outing but uh, he's just he's the guy that's going to be back there to you know to really choreograph it all and and have the you know, the front row seat for you know to watch a lot of these uh, talented pitchers do their thing and in recent years we would talk about September call-ups and talk about youth But this year, we're talking about a 12-year grizzled veteran added to your bullpen in David Robertson. How helpful can he be for the next month and hopefully two? I think he's going to be a force in our bullpen for the next two months. I really do. I think, I mean, his stuff is as good as it's been, you know, since 17-18. I really expect big things out of David. Um, I think the leadership qualities that he'll bring to the pen down there as well, obviously what he's going to be able to provide for us between the lines. And how much does he contrast what you already have? Because you guys really value different looks so much. That's right. Yeah, he is exactly that. You know, I mean, it's just another guy whose profile is different than, you know, the groups down there and, 
you know, it, it, there's a lot of things that we value about, you know, just the characteristics to his four-seam fastball and the quality of his breaking ball. Um, but, yes, I mean, his his ability to, you know, potentially give us six outs as well, all right? I mean, it's something that we've coveted here the last couple of years in terms of relievers' ability to be able to, to you know, to get six outs or go out there and face six hitters. He's going to be able to provide that as well, and I think that's going to be a really big bonus for us. And that's Rays pitching coach Kyle Snyder. Off the field, Tampa Bay has an event at Tropicana Field a week from today. It's called the Saturday Morning Shop, and I asked Renee Edwards about that. The Saturday Morning Shop is a marketplace where everyone is included. It started due to me having difficulty selling my own products in various marketplaces throughout the city. So after being denied about three times, I decided to start my own market. It started at Bethel Community Church in April. However, in two months, we outgrew the church and we partnered with the Rays. And now the market is at the Tropicana Field in Lot 4. So tell us a little bit about some of the vendors that people will find at the market. At the market, there are an array of different vendors going from cheesecake to barbecue, arts and crafts, boutiques, uh, fresh produce. You name it, we got it. And when is the market open? From when until when? It's from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Going back, we'll be back to every first Saturday. The reason we're not there for the first Saturday of September is because there's an actual raised game. So the parking lot doesn't work for us (laughs) as well as the game. (laughs) Totally makes sense. So then starting in October, you'll be back on Saturdays on the first Saturday of uh, every month, right? Yes. Yes, sir. And what if people want a little bit more information? Is is there anyone they can go to or how can they get more information about what's at the, at the uh, Saturday Morning Shop? Um, we have a website. It's satmorningshop, S-H-O-P-P-E dot com. And they can also call me directly. And my name's Renee Edwards. Phone number is 727-225-6261. And how many vendors did you start with? And now how many are you at total? We started with 64 and now we average of between 100 and 125 vendors monthly. And that's Renee Edwards. And again, you can learn more Sat Morning Shop. That's S-H-O-P-P-E dot com. Let's turn back to the field and the Rays visit the Red Sox again tomorrow, finning a stretch of seven and ten against Boston. Chad Jennings joins us from The Athletic. And Chad, I guess the past 10 days have been more about covering COVID than baseball. Oh yeah, there's no question. It's it's hard to it's impossible to separate the two. You know, it, it's it's so connected. But honestly, the bigger issue beyond you know, I mean, there's a big issue of the way the Red Sox have played and the way they've played since the trade deadline and the Rays sort of really taking control and all of that's there. But right now, it's all happening in the background of the COVID outbreak. The job right now feels far more about you know figuring out who's the latest positive and trying to understand some of the rules governing when guys can come out of quarantine and how long they have to, when they can pass tests and what close contact means and all that stuff. All of that feels far more relevant right now than uh, wherever the Red Sox are on a given day in the standings. And from a, a baseball perspective, this is potentially having a major impact on their ability even to make the postseason, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. They, I mean, right now they're playing a, a really key stretch of games and they just don't have their bullpen. I mean, that you know, they have... You know, Matt Barnes, Martin Perez, Herakazas uh, Almora, and Josh Taylor are all out. And, I mean, those are four of their go-to guys. 
and this all happened too. You know, they were trying to, they'd already kind of gotten Chris Sale on a schedule where he was going to get an extra day of rest coming into the previous chunk of Rays games. And, you know, they don't want to now push him. So then they had to scramble to get a spot starter. Yeah, it's just caused them to, to really have to play with far less than ideal lineup. And, you know, you notice most of the, it's it's Kike Hernandez, Christian Arroyo, Xander Bogarts on the position player side, and those are their top three middle infielders. I mean, that's the number one, two on the depth chart at shortstop and second base. And they've already, you know, they traded away Michael Chavis. So they're down to kind of their third or fourth string shortstop. And I believe their sixth string second baseman in Jack Lopez. So, you know, that's, <laughs> it's, that's a, not a, at all an ideal situation especially at a chunk when, you're, when they have to play the Rays so many times during this, uh, during this time. They're still neck and neck with Oakland, fighting with them for a wild card, trying to catch the Yankees for a wild card spot. From your perspective, is there even enough time in this season, because we're less than a month now, to recover from these issues and these challenges and how may they, impact the, how may they might impact the one-loss record? Oh, no. I mean, uh, you know, I mean the division's gone. Um, I think at this point it's just a... A fight to try to hold on to to one of those wild card spots you know there is maybe time to recover to try to make another run at at the Yankees for the for home field advantage in the wild card game but but that's really it I mean at this point I think it's primarily just damage control it's just trying to make sure that they hold on to that sort of one game crapshoot to have a real shot at it I don't. I don't know that the ambition at this point can go any farther than that. It's just trying to not let the the ship sink entirely. Chad, in your mind, why have the Red Sox had an outbreak at this time, and and maybe more so, why are they one of the seven teams that hasn't been able to get near eighty five percent of their players? That part I really have a hard time understanding. I, I I don't know. I mean, they have certainly given a full court press to try to convince guys to get the vaccine, and and it just hasn't worked. And I, I don't know. I honestly, I have a I have a hard time understanding why that didn't didn't take hold for them better than it did. You know, especially you know you could blame just you know baseball has sort of a you know the, a lot of the the players maybe you know they come from different parts of the country, different parts of the world. But that's a league wide thing, and other teams got there. So I don't know why the Red Sox in particular did not. As for why the outbreak has happened, you know that's hard to tell. It, it started technically in Cleveland which is where their first positive test came, but that was the first day in Cleveland. And so, you know, you would assume then that means that Pika Hernandez was the first to test positive. He, he, he almost had to have gotten it at some point in Boston, right? You just think uh, timing-wise. And so I, I don't know. And then Hernandez, at least as, as far as anyone knows, as far as he's said and the Red Sox have said, Kike Hernandez is vaccinated. Um, and so he's the first, and then it spreads from there We've been told that, that the majority, I was even told specifically the vast majority of the positive cases are vaccinated. So, you know, that, you know, obviously Delta variant has, has led to some breakthrough cases. Um, this is just something that's happening, you know, all around the country. And it, and it has obviously made it into the Red Sox clubhouse. I would assume, but I don't know that the fact that there are so many unvaccinated people and, and surely some of them are among those who've gotten it has perhaps helped to accelerate it and, and kind of keep it moving. But it's hard to say. And that's what Bloom said, you know, just a few days ago, that it really is based on the way they've, what they know about who's gotten it and who hasn't, that it's, it's very hard to say why it started, how it started, and hard to say whether it would have changed if their vaccination status had changed. But 
when one of the teams that did not reach the 85% threshold has an outbreak, uh, it's hard not to look at that and think that it's at least possibly, if not likely, a contributing factor. Does it take the shine off what has been, by most estimations, a better than expected season in Boston? Oh, completely. Completely. You know, I mean, once... Once things start going well, people expect it to go well. <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, I think if you could go back to February and say, hey, when you get into September, the Red Sox are going to be in a wild card spot and will have had a pretty good year, people would have been excited about that. But the first three months went so well, and the, the past month has been just so bad. And, and you know what also takes the shine off of it is that it lines up so well with the trade deadline. When every other team in the division does something big, you know, whether it's the Rays getting Nelson Cruz or, uh, you know, the Yankees, even though the Yankees getting, you know, Joey Gallo has not hit very well for the, for the Yankees. Uh, Anthony Rizzo has not done a whole lot. And that was, I think at the time, it felt like the big thing that the Red Sox missed out on was a guy like Rizzo. They didn't get a first baseman, which is something they badly needed. But then in the month of August, Bobby Dahlbeck has been maybe the best rookie or was the best rookie in the American League, arguably. And, and really kind of took off. So it's it's hard to, it's weird to look back at the trade deadline and say, that feels like the line, right? At the morning of the trade deadline, they're still in first place. And here we are a little over a month later and they've fallen into third place and the division is just completely out of reach. But the things that have happened since then are kind of a, been a weird mess, right? Their, their bullpen, the front end, the top main guys in their bullpen were good. And that was a strength of the team. Now they supplemented sort of the back end at the, at the trade deadline, but they did not appear to be a team that desperately needed another closer or setup man. But it turns out that's been one of the most glaring weaknesses during this stretch. And the, the rotation has suddenly been fairly good and stable. It looked like they were a team that badly needed a first baseman at the trade deadline. It turns out since the deadline, their first baseman's been really good. And it's been kind of their defense has been a total mess and has and has led to a lot of issues. So it's easy to look back and say, look, this this they should have done more at the trade deadline. They did not supplement their team the way they needed to but also I think it would have been a little bit difficult to fully foresee the issues they were going to run into and, and properly address them at that time well either way the the storyline surrounding this Boston group should make for a really intriguing series this coming week at Fenway between the Rays and the Red Sox and Chad we appreciate some time in this week in Rays baseball hey it's my pleasure it's it's nice to talk about a team and talk to a team that is uh that's playing really well <laughs> And that is Chad Jennings of The Athletic, a little tongue-in-cheek there as he covers the Boston Red Sox. Thanks to him and all of our guests on the program today, left-handed pitcher Shane McClanahan, as well as Dave and Andy that you'll hear from shortly. Dalton Kelly from the AAA Durham Bulls right now, pitching coach of the Rays, Kyle Snyder, as well as Renee Edwards of Saturday Morning Shop. And, of course, if you ever have something you want to hear on the program, all you have to do is tweet me at Rays Radio or at Neil Solons. On next week's program, you're going to hear from 12-year veteran David Robertson about coming to the Rays, playing in the Olympics, and a whole lot more. Special thanks today to my producer, Derek DuBose. I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned. The Rays getting set for the Minnesota Twins, trying to wrap up the homestand on a high note and sweep the series. This is the Rays Baseball Network. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 